Capital Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. All of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Oh, my Lord. Are you kidding me? You China lab leak covering hypocrite. No, I'm, I'm attacking you because you and your buddies were promoting gain-of-function research in China, and then when it went sideways on you, and it clearly did, you covered you and your people covered it up as aggressively as you could, which probably led to the deaths of an extra couple of million people around the world instead of everybody coming clean immediately. So Sickening. more on that from uh, Fauci here in just a second. Um, it kind of fits in with this, though. Why did the CDC, and they've been doing this all along, the the CDC has been trying to outsmart us or, like, lead us various directions. Fauci has admitted to this. Yeah, I told white lies, but it was for the good of the nation. No, no, no. I don't want the government to tell me white lies. I want the government to give me the absolute truth and let me make a decision as to what's a good idea or not. Whether it's, no, masks don't work because we don't want people to buy masks. We'll tell them they don't work. You know, that that's sort of crap. I really hate that. Why was the CDC kind of fudging the numbers last week to make the media react to the story that more young people are getting COVID? How many times did you hear that headline? I heard that headline, thought, really? Okay, well, that's kind of interesting. Young people haven't been getting the COVID. So I'll read a little from this opinion piece in the um, Wall Street Journal. It's about mental health and how that has been ignored while we're trying to boost up the numbers. Our own government people are trying to boost the numbers for COVID for some reason. The CDC tried to spark a panic last week about COVID hospitalizations while ignoring the real crisis. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a report last week warning that adolescent hospitalizations due to COVID were on the rise. You probably heard that story. I certainly Absolutely. Did. Repeatedly, yep. The media picked up the message and ran with it. But it isn't true. The CDC misrepresented the data and played down a more important finding that provides further evidence that pandemic control measures are likely having a serious adverse impact on young people's mental health. The CDC truncated its analysis at the precise date, April 24th, that would cast an increase in teen hospitalization in the worst possible light. So it's like looking at a series of numbers and you pick the low point and the high point on the graph and then make a point that doesn't really fit if you zoom out and take in all the numbers. Right. Why would our own government do that? Adolescent hospitalizations for COVID-19 were back down to 0.6 per 100,000 by late May before the CDC report was published and well below the rate of 2.6 for the adult U.S. population, not even close. Moreover, COVID cases among children in 2021 have now fallen by 84%. Hospitalizations are down by 69% since January, thanks largely to vaccination. So there is no crisis of young people getting COVID. There is certainly a crisis among young people, but that's not it. it. That is clearly an attempt to scare more people into getting vaccinated, including have, young, but young people. But the government doesn't make money off of clicks. So oh, you think it was just to try to get people to get vaccinations? Yeah, it was more public manipulation of the sort you're describing Anthony Fauci engaging in. Not cool. But while the CDC oversold the teen COVID narrative, it failed to emphasize the most troubling aspect of its own study. 
20% of teen hospitalizations in the study between Jan 1 and March 31st were for psychiatric emergencies, not COVID. Wow. They left that out that 20% of the hospitalizations were for psychiatric emergencies. Our own freaking government. God, the stats I've seen on skyrocketing admissions for suicide attempts and that sort of thing, they are just shocking. Although pandemic-related closures have made it difficult to study the mental health of children during the past year, the available data point to a crisis. Lockdowns and school closures have led to greater incidences of obesity and eating disorders, according to many experts at uh, various places like Stanford's Children's Health Network. Since the start of the pandemic, overall health care utilization rates have been low, and many elective visits, including mental health services, were unavailable. This exacerbated what the CDC has identified as a pre-existing mental health treatment gap for children in the USA before we even got to the pandemic. Why? Oh, let me read one more thing. The proportion of children seeking emergency mental health services who required immediate hospitalization, including eating disorders, rose 75% in 2020 compared to 2019. And that's with hospitals closed down. You know, I hope and I pray merely because it might help prevent this sort of thing from happening again. I hope that this era and what we've done to the children is recognized as one of those dark chapters in American history when we really screwed up. 21% of adolescents treated in the Children's Hospital of San Francisco Emergency Department in January of 2021 expressed active or recent suicide ideation, up from 14% in 2020. These data reflect the highest proportion of suicidal adolescents ever recorded at the hospital. We've never seen numbers like this in such a short period of time, said John Muir, or a spokesman for the John Muir. John Muir's been dead for quite some time. Yeah, if he's talking, that's your headline. Said a spokesman spokesman for John Muir Medical Center in Walnut Creek, California. I mean, we've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. I am so frustrated by this. This is getting so little attention in the lefty media for some reason, because COVID obsession is is the, you know, it's part of their religious beliefs. Uh, the Who wrote that brilliant editorial we were talking about? It'll pop back into my head, where he was pointing out that pretending like there's only one concern and not weighing the difficult choices between all of the threats and and possibilities, that's not leadership. That's cowardice. The opposite of leadership. Uh, it sounds like there might be a little bit of Goodhart's law that we talked about last week in here, where uh, if if a if a particular measurement becomes a goal, it ceases to be a good measurement. If the CDC was told the only thing that matters is COVID, that's the measurement of whether or not you're doing a good job, vaccinations and CDC rates, then it ceases to be a good measurement because you ignore. Because obviously, you would think Centers for Disease Control, looking at the health of America, does a big study. You would look at what stands out the most. Well, what stands out the most from their own damn report is the mental health crisis for young people. But they decided to fudge the numbers on the COVID stuff because that's the only measurement they were told they were supposed to pay attention to. Right. I think that's absolutely correct. But the idea that the CDC wouldn't look at the top four or five health threats to Americans and balance those needs and and come up with policies that were sensible and and threaded that needle. And it's not a needle. It's a big old giant hula hoop. God, that's Um, frustrating. Oh, it's incredibly frustrating. And the politics of it, you have the teachers unions desperate to make it sound like the COVID is still dangerous, especially for kids and the rest. There's so many ugly, greedy politics involved. Anecdotal evidence is obviously scary because you only have, you know, a few points. Uh, but 
I don't know a single person who's worried about their kids getting COVID. I know multiple families, like I can think of a half a dozen families off the top of my head who are really worried about the mental health of their kids. Right. So it's zero to most people I know Yeah. uh, on the difference between mental health and COVID. The CDC tries to convince you so the media will jump that COVID is a threat, ignores their own numbers about an explosion in depression, anxiety, anorexia, and suicide thoughts. That is really troubling. That's how bad your government can be. I'm reminded of, I was just uh, checking out some CNN on the way into work this morning, and and they are clearly a top-down managed news organization. They pick their themes. I mean, if you ever tune in, you know it. Whether it's Malaysian aircraft uh, disappearing, they obsessed over that beyond anybody, to, uh, you know, uh, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, uh, to the COVID. And the idea that, okay, this is hot, this is what we're running with, is uh, it's okay for entertainment and for news it's it's bad but for a government agency to get either obsessed like that or feel like this is the hot thing right now so this is what we're going to it's just it's it's a perversion of what they're supposed to be doing and you know if it weren't for the human cost and and the child cost it would merely be more crappy governance but as it is it's it's just a crime again i say this is a dark dark chapter in our country's history what we've done to our young people yeah it's another lesson in don't look to the government for any leadership on anything if you see around you and in your own home that mental health is the real challenge then treat that as the most serious thing and you're seeing data that shows that covid's not really a threat for kids and it isn't and it hasn't been don't be led by the media and the government very frustrating i mean this is man this is a high stakes game i would say i just i'm discouraged one final discouraging note and then i swear to god i'll cheer up the percentage of people who I think truly understand the dynamics of what's been going on, what we've been talking about, the COVID reaction, the schools, the rest of it, I think it's a very small percentage of Americans. It's the percentage that gets their their news and analysis through independent sites like ours. If you are a mass media taker-inner, although, you know, lately the New York Times, Washington Post have been doing a better job Um but if you're a mass media consumer, you have no freaking idea what's going on. You are absolutely Mark Twain's uh, misinformed reader. I don't watch the news. Sound decision, my lad. I don't know if I can take another Dr. Fauci clip. We were talking about playing it, but... Maybe we'll get back into it later. Yeah. You got they're, the... they're asking for him to be fired. I think he ought to be freaking jailed, and I have not been saying that. The only black Republican congressman wants to join the Congressional Black Caucus, and they won't let him because he's a Republican. That's kind of a good story. Sure. So you're Republican more than you're black, I guess. That's not the least bit surprising. (laughs) You're supposed to get in your pen because your leaders told you to get in there and vote like a bunch of monochromatic sheep. You're black, you gotta vote this way, and we'll tell you how. You Hispanic people, we'll tell you how to vote. Independent thinking is for fools. Get in your pen to be sheared. I'm not sure how I feel about President Biden wearing tennis shoes in front of world leaders yesterday. I think that was a real step backwards for America. Tie or Velcro? Uh, It matters. (laughs) 
<laughs> it does matter. Regular, you tie them running shoes. Yeah, it wasn't full Traditional on. Traditional knot or turquoise turtle knot? It wasn't full on. I've given up slip into my Velcro sneakers. I think I'll go walk the mall. It makes shoes. a difference. I'm making a June resolution. Learn more knots. <laughs> I think I've mastered that turtle one we were oh, doing. Oh, really? How do you yeah. like it as far as tying your shoes? Uh, my life has two times. There's before I, <laughs> I knew how to tie this knot and Shut after. Up. <laughs> Maybe we'll delve into that, among other things, on the way. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, the British have some pretty colorful slang, but so does President Biden. So we thought we'd put together a quick tutorial on the differences between how they use certain phrases. For example, first up, we have slag off. To someone in England, that means to criticize someone. But for Biden, it means... Something we used to hear at the butcher shop off Main Street was run by a man named Three Finger Carl. Way to cut of the good stuff. He'd ask you, you want the slag on or off? We didn't know what that meant, but he'd give us free raw hot dogs to put in our shirt pockets to keep us cool on the walk home. (laughs) Oh, my God. Come on. Jimmy Fallon's really good at those. That's beautiful. Hot dogs to put in our shirt pocket to keep us cool on the walk home. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, that's funny. Uh, we got more of that? You want to hear more of that? Oh, uh-huh. Is there more to that? Yeah. Okay, well, let's do it. Let's look at another example. We have uh, Bob's your uncle. The British use that to mean, and there you have it. But to Biden, well, Bob's not just your uncle, kid. Bob was the archbishop of the entire Catholic Diocese of Wilmington. Good man. Better preacher. He could do that trick with the holy water where he'd put it in his hand and shoot it out like a little missile. If he ever caught you dozing in the first pew, he'd blast you right between the eyes. God bless him. (laughs) So we got a lot of requests for this segment. We did it yesterday. If you haven't heard this, if you've heard it, you're going to want to hear it again. If you haven't heard it, you're going to love it. So how much controversy has there been around the national anthem at sports the last couple of years? And hearing about so many people that when they hear the national anthem, they, you know, it's not my country or not my anthem or white supremacy or whatnot, or I'm kneeling, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, lots of talk about removing the national anthem. Here's a New Jersey playoff hockey match. Yesterday I had the problem. Is it a hockey match or a hockey game? Game. Unless you're 80. (laughs) Series. A hockey series? Hockey series. Anyway. The crowd getting into it, the national anthem at playoff hockey there in in Jersey. And this is pretty awesome. We're going to play the whole thing. And now, please join Nicole Revive as we sing together our national anthem. Oh, sir, can you see by the dawn's early light what's so proud?
If you want to share that with people, go to armstrongandgetty.com. We got it. Armstrongandgetty.com. That's awesome. The crowd shaking the place apart with their applause. And you know, there are so many messages you could take from that. Here's mine. That's how your friends and neighbors and countrymen feel about their country. Not what you hear from the elite. That's what Americans think of the United States of America. Americans of all colors and creeds and ethnicities. That's fantastic. Yep, that's good stuff right there. So when we come back, we got all sorts of stuff to squeeze in today, uh, including the oldest known piece of literature on Earth. What it's about and what its themes are mean something. Uh, we'll get to that next. You Love wanna, it. I was unfamiliar with it. You want to kick Tony Fauci for some reason? You're going to do a Fauci kicking? He is absolutely part of the scientific establishment that covered up for the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And would you eat a cicada? The answers are in. In a poll. Uh, <laughs> everything you need to know is at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't know if I'm going to stick around work the whole time today. I just got a million and a half dollars from a lottery winner in Canada, so uh, (laughs) not sure I need this gig anymore. Wow. Those generous, generous Canadians sharing their winnings with strangers south of the border. I just got a really, really long text. It's the first time I've ever got one of these in text form. For some reason, the, the, the robo-texts seem more violating than the emails and the calls, even. The, the texting, no, that's that's where me and my, my, my people I'm close to say really private things. Heart emoji. Stay away Please. from my texts. Right. But uh, somebody won the lottery up in Canada, and they're a Christian, and they like giving money away to people who deserve it, and apparently they picked me for some reason. Hey, that's awesome. They're going to give me a million and a half dollars, which is equivalent of 1.2 million U.S. dollars. But Fair the, enough. All they need is my uh, address, name, age, gender, and some other information, and a, they, a link to click to to. Uh, well, don't wait. There's, but you know, there may be other people that could beat you to that. So, so you you want to hurry up and respond? <laughs> I will probably be leaving early today. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, don't burn any bridges. That's uh, don't don't wave your middle fingers as you no, leave. Start buying stuff that you've always wanted now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I came across this the other day. Um, it's the sort of thing I feel like I should have known, but I don't. But now I do. And that is the uh, uh, humanity's oldest known piece of literature, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Is it a rom-com? <laughs> no, it's definitely not, as I'll be describing in a moment. It was originally written in the Akkadian language in ancient Mesopotamia. And it's actually said to have it's sophisticated in its structure, checks off all the boxes that you'd want in a world-class story with uh, character development, initial self-doubt, rising action, divine intervention, all sorts of stuff. It's really good literature, they Darth say. Darth Vader's in it. Yeah, and uh, but it is the literally the oldest known piece of literature among mankind. Here's I've the long heard, and short. I've heard references to it before, but, but old as blank, Gilgamesh, or what is the word in there? Gilgamesh. Yeah. Gilgamesh. Uh, I've heard references to it, but I don't know anything about it. The Epic of Gilgamesh, and I'm quoting an expert on this. Obviously, I didn't do my own research. Um, It's an early articulation. Well, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the plot. Gilgamesh is a powerful king who dominates the city of Uruk. And gets bit by a poisonous spider. And gets powers. No. No children. Children. (laughs) Children. (laughs) 
We will have uh, idea time after the lesson. So Gilgamesh, powerful king, dominates the city. He most notably rapes young women on their wedding days to humiliate their families oh and the glooms God. and the grooms and to exert his dominance. Oh my God! It is very North Korean. Oof. Okay, you dare not question Gilgamesh's power. Gilgamesh dominates the city and its people, leaving no young man free to go to his father and no young wife free to go to her bridegroom. The citizens plead with the sky god Anu for help, and their prayers are answered. The gods create a primeval man, uh, uh, like a giant almost, and Kidu to be the counterbalance to Gilgamesh. Now here's the analysis. And, and this whole article is in response to the notion in critical race theory, which is, it's just, it's an effort to tear down the system and enact a Marxist utopia using uh, past racism as an excuse uh, for tearing everything down and using white guilt to get people to shut up that and confusing people about terminology. But it's absolutely a, a Marxist uh uh, propaganda, And one of the things they say is that our Western notions of freedom and individual rights and equal opportunity as opposed to equity, meaning taking all the wealth and giving it out to your favorite people, they say those notions are, are fairly modern and they're, they're perverse and they're wrong and they're just white people, Western world ideas to hold on to white supremacy. That's one of their arguments. So anyway... Getting back to Gilgamesh, the oldest known piece of literature in humankind, by writing this, the ancient inhabitants of Mesopotamia were expressing two things in particular. The first being that they were articulating the desire for individuals to be free of domination. This is profound stuff. They were putting forth the fact that humans were not meant to be oppressed and that individual dignity ought to be respected. The second and more subtle point was that society is free when its rulers are checked by equal powers. Enkido, a mythical being, was sent down to counterbalance Gilgamesh and challenged him to a fight after hearing about his behavior with the young women, Mm. the raping, etc. This aspect of the story demonstrates an early understanding of the necessity for checks and balances on power. When there's an oppressive leader exerting arbitrary will upon society, a body of equal power must be present to check that power. When that is accomplished and people are able to live their lives free of the will of their oppressor, which is usually the government, society flourishes on its own. That's the oldest story in humankind. It's about individual freedom and checks and balances on government. Isn't that amazing, in a way? And, and, uh, you know, another lesson that conservatives tend to believe is that human nature doesn't change. And the the problems, the same problems have existed throughout time and will exist throughout time. I agree heartily, as you know. Yeah. The props change, but not the people. Uh, Less sophisticated is this text we just got. Sean needs to STFU. And oh, that's not very nice. And stop interrupting your show, which already sucks anyway. <laughs> so. That's a bit of a paradox. <laughs> so there you go. You'd think that person would call for more. Well, anyway, thank you for the input. I don't live in the part of the country where they have the cicadas, a bug that only comes out every 17 years. Is that right? I haven't seen them since I was uh, but a wee lad. I think I was 9 or 10. I can't remember. I keep I doing remember. the math and forgetting. But I don't remember if I've ever seen a cicada or not. Oh, you'd remember it. 
Oh, okay. especially because we're the same age. I mean, yeah. for, a, for a boy, it's like your son's ages, mm-hmm. really. It's the most astounding thing in the world. All of a sudden, the world is full of the ugliest freaking insects you've ever seen in your life, and they're the size of a sparrow. For some reason, the idea of eating them has become uh, a kind of a, a story over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it was back in the day, too. Would, standard. Would you eat a cicada is a question that was asked in, by a YouGov poll. The plurality is 58%, which is a pretty big number, very somewhat unwilling to eat a cicada. I'm in that group. Very or somewhat unwilling? Yeah, I just yeah. I don't have no interest. Should circumstances prove dire enough? Fine, plate them up. But yeah, I'm somewhat unenthusiastic about the right. prospect. If I'm starving to death or there's a generous Canadian offering me $1.2 million to do it, well, then my answer changes. So almost 60% of us are very somewhat unwilling to eat one of these bugs, no matter how it's prepared. Very somewhat willing... 23%. That would be almost entirely men between the ages of 16 and 27. And YouTubers. <laughs> uh, 16% don't know. I, I, you know. I have no idea if I no, want no, to. No, no, no. These cicadas. This is the big bug with the red eyes. Would you eat one? I just don't know. Well, well I mean, if there was one in front of you right now, how would you, you be willing to ingest it? How, what do I oh, what is your, how does your answer, you don't know, to that question? I just, I love it. I'm, I'm pissed off. You abandoned. I don't know theater because I thought it was going quite well. <laughs> I just that that person. I don't, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Yes or no? Seriously, just answer off the top of your head. Here's mm, one. I, I got can't one. Tell I, you. I'm gonna hold this one in front of you right now. Do you want to take a bite of it? I, I don't know. You, what? No, <laughs> that's not. That doesn't make sense. Can you restate the question? <laughs> I want you to eat it or not eat it right now, and I'm going to write that down as your answer. Okay, I will. No, I won't. I don't know if I will. (laughs) And then you've got 3% already eating it. (laughs) Already eating it. It's beautiful. (laughs) You know, what would you think of a man, a grown man in this scenario, asking for a friend who repeatedly orders the same thing at restaurants, and every time he does, he's unhappy that he did. Oh, okay. Yet so, he continues to do so. So the first part is my scenario, because I always order the same thing at restaurants. But I like what I order. That's why I keep ordering the same thing. Yeah, I wouldn't say I order the same thing all the time. I mean, my friend. I, I just, <laughs> I often order this food, and every single time I do, I regret it. And yet I keep doing it. Kidney pudding? No, actually, it's funny you should say that. I, we went with some friends to a British pub-style place. It was a really good menu, great menu, and, you know, some authentic British, you know, shepherd's pie and, and all sorts of stuff, and then some, like, really floofy california stuff. But anyway, it was a great menu. But I could not pass up, and it's a child's order. I realize this. <laughs> I could not pass up the fish and chips. Oh, yeah. When I went to, uh, when I was in uh, England, I ate fish and chips every place I went, just to compare them all. They vary a lot. A lot. Yeah. But every time I order it, the first, like, six bites are fantastic. Then I'm, oh, it's pretty heavy. It's awfully fries. It's kind of greasy. fries and everything. Early (laughs) fish and chips experience that you're trying to chase that dragon of? Like, you have some fond memory Mm. of this was good one time. Maybe this is the. 
Yeah, it's like having a raincoat fetish or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, you what? had a memory burn early on. Exactly. And, I had know, some sort of euphoric... Raincoat fetish. I had a euphoric experience in my adolescence with fish and chips, and I'm chasing it. I think Sean has analyzed me properly, but it's just so heavy halfway through. So greasy. And this was really good fish and chips, but it's just fried, fried. It's heavy. I'm heavy. We belong together. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, they're good fries, though. So I eat them, and I eat them, and I eat them. So are you going to kick Dr. Fauci here? I don't know. I'm bored with Fauci. He's part of the cover-up, and he ought to be in prison. I'm not sure what the charge would be exactly. Covering for Chinese idiocy. You know who I want to kick, metaphorically? that's a crime now. (laughs) You know, shut up. You're ruining the show, which already sucks. (laughs) You know who I'd like to metaphorically kick, because I would never raise a hand nor a foot against a woman, is uh, Ilhan Omar, okay. who is an America-hating Marxist. That's an interesting story. Oh, yeah. What yeah. she tweeted and then the reaction. If you haven't heard it, it's worth sticking around for. Uh, also, a new poll. Uh, millions of people in America struggle with life with few to trust. They have very few people to trust in their lives. Colbert's got a comment on it. I've got some of the details. It's worth taking a look at. See if you fit into that uh, category or not. All on the way. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The controversy actually began when Congresswoman Omar posted a tweet appearing to summarize her virtual exchange with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in what some considered fairly incendiary language. Her tweet read in part, quote, We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. Critics blasted what appeared to be language equating the U.S. and Israel with the Hamas group and with the Taliban. In fact, critics, including several members of her own party, demanded that Omar clarify her comments, writing in part in a statement, the United States and Israel are imperfect. They went on to say this, and like all democracies, at times deserving of critique, but false equivalencies give cover to terrorist groups. Omar accusing her colleagues of perpetuating, quote, Islamic phobic tropes, calling the letter offensive and adding that it's a sign of harassment and silencing that she finds unbearable. By the way, in her clarification, she said, I was in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries with well-established judicial systems. Uh, you weren't? I think you were. So a dozen Jewish Democrats issued a statement urging her to clarify her comments, saying it was offensive. It was as offensive as it was misguided. And then she went with that whole, I'm not a, uh, the, the, uh, comparing them to each other. And clearly you are. Well, not only that, but her defense is you're engaging in anti-Islamic tropes and racism. Please. That's unbelievable. I, I you know, I embrace the idea of people from different places and cultures coming to this country and joining in and becoming an American, I think it's wonderful. I don't think Ilhan Omar has any love for the United States of America no, and no. our constitutional system at all. She's part of that country, part of that crowd that thinks this country is bad and a net negative for the world. Yeah, that uh, that first, was it a tweet or a statement? We have that- seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. The reason that is so awful 
is that people like the Taliban um, and Hamas use that as cover for what they're doing. Right. That's right. why that is so awful. Yeah. It lets terrorists say, hey, you know, even even U.S. representatives say we're all kind of we're all just trying to fight a war, trying to win, you know. Yeah. She was absolutely trying to put all of those different folks on the same moral uh, level, the same you know, level of legitimacy. She absolutely sympathizes with um, uh, Islamist groups. In my opinion, Omar accused Democratic critics of using Islamophobic tropes. Really? Is that what it is? An Islamophobic trope to go after you for saying that? Doesn't matter who you are, what your background was. That was a terrible thing to say as a, as a congressperson of the United States. Sean made the point that if it were not for the unifying force of Trump holding the Democrats together, this would be a huge fissure. This would be a real problem for them to smooth over. But they still have that going where they all, can all unify everybody behind, at least we're not Donald Trump. Yeah, but that's that's fading away. Oh, sure. Those day fissures by day. will be more and more clear. Yeah. Day by day, it gets weaker, just, just like me. You know, Ilhan, I got a response to your response about Islamophobic tropes. If I, Joe Getty, were to say the United States has committed terrible atrocities, the Soviet Union did, uh, North Korea, uh, communist China right now have all committed atrocities. And somebody were to say, whoa, dude, how are you putting the United States and communist China on the same moral plane? And the Soviet Union, they oppressed, starved, and murdered millions. How dare you? Can I respond with, you're resorting to anti-Islamic tropes? Or you're resorting to anti-doughy suburban white guy tropes? That's no answer, you lying liar. I'm telling you. Um, some people making this point, remember when Donald Trump did his interview at halftime at the Super Bowl with Bill O'Reilly and was asked about Russia and, uh, Bill O'Reilly said, Vladimir Putin is a killer. And Trump said, we've got a lot of killers. What do you think? Our country is so innocent. Very yeah, similar. I remember sort of at thing. the time, yeah. both of us said we hated oh, that statement. We criticized that harshly and should have and still do. And, uh, that sort of thing. And what Omar said, no good. The right. United States is clearly, clearly. On a higher plane of doing right in the world than those other groups on that list that she hey. mentioned. And you can't equate them. It's, it's, you're only boosting them. I'm not so much worried that you're going to damage us, but you're boosting them. And that's really awful. Can we squeeze in 41, Sean? Meanwhile, fellow members of the squad leapt to Omar's defense, including AOC, New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, accusing critics, including those from her party, of intentionally distorting Omar's remarks. Pretty sick and tired of the constant vilification, intentional mischaracterization, and public targeting of Ilhan Omar coming from our caucus. She added this, they have no concept for the danger they put her in by skipping private conversations and leaping to fueling targeted news cycles around her. Added Rashida Tlaib, freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. The benefit of the doubt doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. House Democratic leadership should be ashamed of its relentless, exclusive tone policing congresswomen of color. Democratic House leadership, led by Nancy Pelosi, issuing a statement trying to quell the uproar. They said they, quote, welcome the clarification from the congresswoman. You know, I'd like to congratulate Rashida Tlaib for stuffing in at least three or four kinds of bull S into a, a couple of sentences. That's tough to do. Yeah, Nancy had to play that very carefully. Uh, we appreciate her clarifying. 
freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress? What an idiotic thing to say. Unsupportable, fake. Oh. So Kim Jong-un and I agree on something. So (laughs) I have a tendency to agree with uh, evil dictators. Hitler and I both agree modern art is stupid. (laughs) And Kim Jong-un and I agree on this. He just gave a speech. K-pop is a vicious cancer that merits work camps and execution. I agree. K-pop is a vicious cancer. That merits detention camps? <laughs> I mean, I don't Whatever like it. it takes to stop it. <laughs> That's a brave stance. <laughs> Running against the, uh, the tide there. They outlawed tight pants the other day and K-pop. Of course, the K-pop thing, as we learned, is all about... Uh, same thing as in China, they have big uh, fan pages, and lots of people go on those fan pages and then have a way to organize against the government, and you do not want that to happen. Didn't Kim Jong uh, cut down on mullets, too? Mullets and other decadent Western hairstyles? Decadent haircuts, yes. Yeah, yeah. None of that fringy mullet, the Keith Richards look that's so popular, allegedly. <laughs> uh, if you missed any of the show, go to armstrongandgetty.com, get the podcast. Armstrong and Getty.